0: Welcome to Center Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. From the book of 2 Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. This is my friend, Corey. Corey is an honest storyteller. She is straightforward but tender in her delivery. She's attentive and astute to the details of life and she lives it wide open. Corey Rowe Flores. Hello.
1: Hi, friend. How are you? I'm so glad you're here. I am, too. It's beautiful here. I'm <laughs> moving
0: in. This is your, um, this can be your little divine apartment anytime sanctuary. you want. I know, it is a sanctuary. 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 I come here all the time to escape. Uh-huh. I
1: need one. <laughs> People. Things. <laughs> I'll know
0: you <laughs> um, Okay, so I'm so glad to have you on the show. I have, we've known each other for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, 12, 13 years old. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Junior high, right? Yeah. So, um, now, we have not been, like, besties that whole time. Right. But I have very clear images of you from junior high. Right. And here's why. You went to a rival junior high. Mm -hmm. So when we would get together as a district Mm -hmm. at speech competitions, I had a killer prose piece, Corey. (laughs) You I was going all the what, way.
1: You have to tell me what the prose piece was. I don't know. You don't know, but it was killer. It was, it was good. Okay.
0: I was crushing it, right? okay? And if I ever walked into a room at a speech competition that you were in, I was like, dang it, because you are expressive, you are creative, you are witty, you are an excellent storyteller, you're a gifted communicator. And everyone knew that if Corey Rowe was in the room, she was going all the way, man.
1: Well, thank you so much. Um, I don't ever remember doing prose.
0: I really don't. Was it poetry? Was it duet acting? I
1: think I only did You got
0: in my way somehow it is was, the point.
1: Oh, I killed it in duet. Okay that was. Um it. and I killed it in dramatic or Oh sure. Was it called dramatic?
0: Yeah, there was something. I mean
1: I as a seventh grader didn't. <laughs> Adaptation of Steel Magnolias, Uh, Um, Sally Field in the Cemetery.
0: I am This is it. I have chills, actually. This is it. Because I had a piece (laughs) that...
1: People (laughs) crowded in. Yes. (laughs) People would look through the window on the door. Because you
0: could probably conjure up some tears, man. Yeah, and I was loud, so they could hear even if they were outside the door. Not a girl.
1: Yeah. I um, had
0: a piece that was... It was written from the perspective of a child whose parents were in the middle of a divorce.
1: Oh, and I it did not,
0: it did not hit the scales of Sally Field. It right. didn't like <laughs> climb that dramatic
1: ladder <laughs> the way that she could,
0: I the mean, way that you could. When I
1: think about it now, I'm, I like need to bury my head in my hands. Like what it's like, if I saw a seventh grader these melodramatic doing still <laughs> years, I would be like, oh that's, my gosh, like, uh, where are you conjuring those tears from? That's right. That's right. Where is this coming from? <laughs> but um, yeah, that was definitely the highlight of my life. <laughs> I I peaked at UIL. I I totally (laughs) peaked. I won the whole thing. Yeah, but it really was a a great time of my life. I mean, I thought I was going to go all the way. like Absolutely.
0: New York, here we come. Yeah. But here's what's so winsome about you is that it did not make me hate you.
1: You know what well, I mean? then this is a good segue because, okay, I don't remember you that much in junior high. Well. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I was the, I
0: mean, it was all about <laughs> I was me. no threat to you, obviously.
1: <laughs> but I remember meeting you at, um, in high school, my high school uh-huh. first homecoming ever. Uh-huh. And you were with Kristen, who I just met.
0: Yes, Beefy. Mm-hmm. Beefy.
1: Yeah. So, Kristen came to my high school
0: from another junior, from another high. junior
1: high. So she was kind of me at her high school and vice sure. versa. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So when I met her, she was beautiful and all of these things that I was, mm-hmm. you know, involved in and mm-hmm. I decided, okay, she could be an enemy. Yes. But I'm going to, we're either going to join forces. Right. And I decided to join forces. Um, and it was really hard for me because she was so beautiful. And I just had this idea at the time that anyone that was, you know, that, that, I don't know where that comes from I know women. it. That's a whole other episode, isn't That's it? It's a whole other episode when you just can't imagine a beautiful person physically being, a physically beautiful person being beautiful inside. Yeah. But um, I was intimidated, but quickly understood that that was not the case with her. And uh-huh. then I met you
0: uh-huh.
1: at that homecoming. Oh,
0: yes. Wearing
1: the Jessica McClintock. <gasps> <laughs> oh, okay. Amazing. <laughs> and I was like, okay my 14-year-old figure. Kristen yeah. might be nice, but this girl cannot. There's just like <laughs> no way possible. Um and then obviously I got to know you yes. and got to know about you more through Kristen yes.
0: and so Kristen is our kind of common denominator. Yes. Kristen is is the glue that kind of keeps us in each other's lives. Yes. And I have just always rooted for you. I, I, You are so winsome to me. I just am, have always been really engaged in your stories and, and as your life has taken many, many turns. And we're here to talk about recovery and yes. to talk about alcohol addiction. Yes. And I've just been rooting for you for so long. And I'm Thank so you. grateful. I would imagine that it's much easier to not ever share your story. I would imagine... Whether it's with me or strangers or whatever,
1: um, you don't have to do this. But you said
0: yes, and I'm so grateful.
1: Well, thank you. I actually find myself the opposite. I do mm. long to talk about it. I yeah. do crave talking about it when I hear other people in similar situations. I just yeah. I um, find that I want to share and yeah. let people know they're not alone and yes. all of those different yeah. things. So yeah. I appreciate that the opportunity.
0: So grateful. I feel like some of the most important parts of us are the recovering parts. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, life in actuality is probably one long recovery process, Mm -hmm. whether it's from abuse or addiction or people not loving us the way that they were supposed to. You know, we have these major traumas. We have many traumas. I mean, we're all kind of recovering from something. And I'm sure that you and I could talk a lot about all of those many ways right. to recover, but specifically today um, to talk about um, alcohol addiction, we'll, can you just start us off with a little bit of your story?
1: Yes. Um, so I will say that to talk about my story, and I do want to focus on alcohol, but I have had multiple addictions, um, but uh, alcohol was the first, um, no, it wasn't actually even the first, but um, you know, alcoholism and bulimia have been a part of my life. Um, but I'm going to start with alcohol Mm -hmm. and focus on that today. So, um, I started drinking probably around the time I met you, Mm -hmm. like, and it was pretty normal. Like I, I went to a heavy partying high school, I Mm -hmm. think. I mean, I don't know. I, it's the only one I went to, um, but there were lots of there was lots of heavy drinking. But in high school, I don't think I stood out yeah. as a different type of drinker. There were some moments that I can talk about. But um, in high school is really when I started picking up with bulimia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what saved me from the drinking aspect in high school was, I mean, the structure of high school. And I was a good student, and mm-hmm. I had goals, and I had mm-hmm. um, parents that were very you know observant of things that were going on and stuff so there wasn't um I had these things kind of keeping a lid on it sure and then I had these moments I mean I do remember like places to be and grades to make totally expectations were were important to me yeah yeah Um, but I remember like the sophomore toga dance I mean that I reached a level of drinking that no one else had and Mm. um then later on things got a little more complicated at different times but it really was mostly the bulimia. I met a boy that I liked and he didn't drink and then I got this introduction into different uh, a group of friends that didn't drink mm. so it kind of like kept me isolated like oh, okay. from drinking. Mm. That just wasn't the major thing. But when I did I I can I can say that I had more binge drinking experiences than like Kristen did at the time, probably, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and so then, I when I graduated high school, I was like a full time diehard bulimic. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Um, and I drank occasionally, and sometimes got like blackout drunk. And I ended up after high school going to treatment twice for bulimia mm-hmm. in Arizona both times. Mm-hmm. And the second time, I went away. I stayed away. Like mm-hmm. so, the treatment ended, and I stayed in Arizona by myself mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a year. Wow. Um, and it was a really clean, peaceful year. You know, there. I didn't drink with my friends in Arizona. Um, I had a lot of jobs. You know, I was just trying to like yeah make ends meet. Being, Patch together a life. Yeah. Um, but it was really cool. It was very. It was obviously far removed from a lot of the things that had mm-hmm. um, that I used bulimia or alcohol to deal with. Yeah. So I was far from my family, far from some conflict, far from any relationships that I had like yeah. already kind of made a mess of. Mm-hmm. I kind of reinvented myself yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but what is funny is that I had reinvented myself there and everyone knew me. I was like a dance instructor and I was a um, nanny and all these, you know, I was just this sweet little Corey, And then these uh, friends of mine took me out. They were, um, dancers for the Phoenix Suns dance team. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, it sounds like a great time. It was a lot of fun. Um, and they took me out and, you know, they didn't know me as a drinker at all. Mm-hmm. And I was very clean with my eating and very clean with everything. And I, the two times they took me out, I got like hammer smashed drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if everyone's familiar with that term, hammer smash drunk. It's just really, really <laughs> drunk. And I know that that I shocked them. They were like, wow. Whoa. Like, we've never seen you drink anything and you just got blackout drunk. Yeah. So, like, experiences like that would happen. Uh-huh. And I would know, like, that I don't drink to relax or have a buzz. Yeah. I, I drink to forget to pass out, to uh-huh. numb, uh-huh. for sure. Uh-huh. Um... And then I think a part of me like longed for the chaos of back home and I came mm-hmm. home for a um, visit and I ended up staying. So I came back home to Texas mm-hmm. and I ended up moving to Austin close to all my high school friends who were then in college mm-hmm. and um, I wasn't in college. So they had a goal they were working towards. I did not. Yeah. Um, So we were all like binge drinking, but they had some lid to keep. But you were a
0: little aimless.
1: Yes. And so I would say within four to six months of me being back in Austin or back in Texas, because I was also living by myself, Mm -hmm. um, I was a full blown alcoholic and I was starting to recognize it because Mm -hmm. it was, there was not a night went by that I didn't get drunk, like pass out drunk. I did not go to sleep without getting drunk. Mm -hmm. Um, And then sometimes it would turn into days. Mm -hmm. So, kind of waking up groggy, gonna miss work. That brings some shame. I can't get my life together. I said I I wasn't gonna do this. I I said I wasn't gonna do this, I'm just gonna, and I mean, I would drive to the liquor store, not to get beer, but I would drive to the liquor store and get vodka or something like that and drink through the day. Mm -hmm. And be like, tomorrow I'm gonna start over. Tomorrow's gonna be the day I start over. Um, so I stayed in Austin until 2001 and just burned through friendships, Mm. all of these friendships I had had all my life. I left Mm. Austin very lonely, very sad, very broken, uh, with Mm. no money, went back to live with my dad in Houston. And that was, uh, the only move I had to make. I mean, there were no other options, but that was not a good situation. Mm. Um, it was Mm. a sad home to go home to. Mm. Things with him weren't great. Definitely not... (laughs) his fault by any means, but just it, things continued to get worse there. So basically I that's like two thousand one, I continued drinking. It was just like a pattern over and over of me trying to get my life together yeah. and it falling apart because I couldn't quit drinking. Yeah. And me realizing what role alcohol was playing in my life. Yeah. And in the fact that I didn't have one. And like, okay, so I'm just going to drink beer. I'm I'm right. gonna drink glass of water in between each drink. I'm not going to take shots. I'm only going to drink on these days. Yes.
0: The parameters that you thought might right. be able to, to make, allow you to
1: keep Yes. Doing to allow me it. to be a normal drinker, uh-huh. to, to allow me to be like everyone else. And there were times, you know, I was familiar with the feeling of surrendering because I had with my bulimia, although mm-hmm. it was still somewhat present. You know, when I went to treatment, there was an act of me surrendering and saying, I can't manage this on my own and I need help. And that is an amazing feeling when you get there it's scary like when you're on the brink of it but when you get there it's just like oh i finally Mm. said it like i need you guys i need Mm. lots of help (laughs) i was so tempted to say that with alcohol through the years um but there was something different about it for me and it was i don't know if it was just the fact that it was another layer of addiction for me so like again corey can't get her life together like why can't you just quit Why can't you just do this? Um, I think also there was a layer of... I was scared once I admitted it. By the way, I don't think anyone was in the dark. I think everybody knew what was going on. But I had not admitted it out loud. So I was scared, you know, when I admitted the bulimia out loud. Then good friends like Kristen and all the... Then I couldn't do it around them anymore. Because they knew what was going on. You're accountable. Right. And so... um, You know, if I admitted to these friends that loved me that I was an alcoholic, they probably wouldn't drink with me anymore, probably wouldn't invite me to drinking functions. And um, I don't, I wasn't ready. I really wasn't ready. I wanted to be ready, but I wasn't. And then just other things, like I got into a relationship with uh, someone else. I had about a two-year relationship with someone else who drank heavily. And so we just were a mess together, you know. yeah. Um, and so around 2005 is when I would say like my bottom started, Yeah, you know, when I started to hit bottom. Um, and it was the fall of 2005. My boyfriend and I broke up because we were an unhealthy mix, but, um, what the catalyst, the immediate catalyst was I cheated on him while I was drunk and I did not deal with that. I don't deal with breakups well in general, but, um, I didn't deal with that very well at all. I was very desperate. To get him back, or to have someone love me. Um, So from 2005, that fall, so like September, October. That's when the bottom started, and it was just horrible. And it was, you know, previous to this, there had already been like looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, getting drunk and having sleeping with way too many people. Sure, putting myself in dangerous situations, like really dangerous situations. Um, just the recklessness that the comes recklessness with that crazy. kind of abandon. Yeah. yeah. And um, so when I do think back, like that's when my heart starts to break if I think about like girls or guys too. But you know, I just, the fact that I was just throwing myself at anything that, you know, I was just very desperate for friendship, love, comfort, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so throughout that year, I ended up quitting one job moments before i got fired like literally i woke up another day at 10am when i was supposed to have been at work at 8 and was about to call in sick and i'm like no they're going to fire me so i'm just going to call in and quit <laughs> so i did um and then i ended up with a new job later on that i did get fired from because of uh, not being able to consistently show up to work and when i did show up i was unprofessional and unproductive and um, just like a total nightmare mess. Um, and then on September 11th, 2006, I um, hit a car while drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. And I kept driving. I didn't mm-hmm. stop. Um, and I got pulled over and I got a DWI. I got what is called an extreme DWI. Mm-hmm. Um, because my blood alcohol level was 023 which I didn't find out till about a month later. Oh, I get goosebumps on that, too. Mm. Um, because the the end of that story is that I didn't hurt anyone, and I'm so grateful. But that was the peak of just what was I doing. And yeah. there was such a feeling following that of shame that it was yeah. just... So that was September 11th, and I actually didn't quit drinking until October 9th. So in that month was Mm -hmm. my parents and I were looking for treatment centers for me to go to. We actually had found one I was going to go to, um, but I was just drinking like crazy. Mm -hmm. I had no job at that point. It all ended in like about a four day bender that started at my apartment where I live by myself on a Thursday. And I just knew that like the next thing I had to look forward to in life was Monday and it was a court date. And I didn't have anything in between. I didn't have any friends, really. Mm -hmm. By this time, my mom had, like, come to my apartment on her own one time because she couldn't get me to pick up the phone, like, all these different things. But I drank all weekend long, uh, mostly by myself. I woke up late Sunday, early Monday. So it was, like, technically Monday, Mm -hmm. the day of my court date, Mm -hmm. at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. It was not an option for me to continue drinking at that point because I wouldn't have made my court date. So I was not a runner at the time. But I got up, and I, I mean, I, I've always been a runner, but I was yeah. not running at the time. Yeah. And I got up, and I went to um, the gym in my apartment complex because it was open. 20- so you're just awake, just, and you're like, I have this court date in a couple of hours. Yeah. I cannot drink. I cannot drink. I need to do something. I need to do something. And there's the anxiety that comes from sobering up is so horrible. I mean, at this time, by this time, I had tried everything to get rid of that anxiety, and the only thing that did it was drinking and so that's why it's so important for people to understand why there's so much
0: of course i know i'm like i have one jillion questions (laughs) um
1: but like i i literally could not breathe i was so the anxiety like it is a physical physiologically your body responds to getting rid of alcohol with anxiety so Hmm. um so yeah i didn't know what to do i didn't have anyone to call i didn't know where to go so i went to um the treadmill and i got on And it was, like, right in front of a window, um, and it was dark outside. Mm -hmm. And so I'm running on the treadmill, like, sweating out Mm -hmm. all this alcohol, and I can see myself because the window Mm -hmm. is, like, a mirror now. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just this really Mm -hmm. kind of insane conversation with myself Mm -hmm. about, I need to go away. No, I don't need to go away. I know what's going to happen when I go away. I know what they're going to tell me. I just need to do it. And going back and forth and back and forth and... um, it was October. This is my favorite time of year. Mm-hmm. I love the holidays. Mm-hmm. And um, i just like a really seasonally aware person. Mm-hmm. We don't get much of it. So, like, <laughs> you put some pumpkins out and I'm like, <laughs> it's that time of year. Um, and so I just decided I'm not going to drink anymore. I, I don't have to drink anymore. I can do this. Um, and I had been to AA for years on and off and gone to meetings and left and gone and gotten a drink afterwards um but uh at this point I think I was yeah I don't think AA was a choice I think it was court mandated (laughs) at this point I think I was having I don't know if we'd gotten to that point maybe my lawyer had told me it would look good if I was Mm -hmm. attending AA Mm -hmm. um but I went to AA that day after my court date and uh, got a 24-hour chip, which I had gotten before, kind of in a half-assed way. Like, but this time I was like, I can do this for 24 hours. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And um, I think I always get confused. I can't remember if I called my parents that day or if I told them a few days later. I, I knew I wanted them to give me a few days. Like, mm. let's see if we can, if I can do this. And if I can't, or if you don't like the way it's going, I've given you enough reason to be so crazy worried about me. I will let you call the shots, yeah. um, but let me see if I can do this. Yeah. And something amazing, I mean, it was an absolute gift. That strong desire to drink was taken away. Wow. I mean, in in this process, I've, I've been in therapy forever. I was talking through things. This wasn't magic. I don't want people yeah. to think that they yeah. can jump on a treadmill and all their problems will go away because they didn't. Um, for me, it was a culmination of a lot. Yeah. And, it was, and it was ultimately when people say, you have to want help, it's when I decided. Yeah, It was my, I think everyone who recovers has a deciding moment and that was mine.
0: Yeah, it sounds like as, as I'm listening, because you hear this about this proverbial rock bottom mm-hmm. and everyone's kind of hoping for either themselves or their loved ones to just go ahead and hit the rock yeah. bottom is so that we bottom? can start, is this, it, is this it, is this it, is this it? Have we finally reached it? But it sounds like there's a point in your story that you were coming to awareness that you're drinking it wasn't just about being young and fun anymore it wasn't about being carefree but instead it this is self-destructive yeah but it sounds like that knowledge came in not one giant rock bottom i mean certainly the the car accident was was huge right. but it sounds like it was coming in several stages of of rock bottom. Right. And so I'm wondering if that whole idea of rock bottom is is a naive idea. What do you what do you think about that term? Yeah. What do you think about that? Because whether it was a lost job or a lost relationship, I mean there were kind of these things that were slowly um making you aware to your need to kind of give up this this idea that this is a something that you can manage, B is something that everyone does, you know, C is something f- for fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was almost like I was able to orchestrate this facade for a long time. And by orchestrate, I mean, not manage, but just kind of not even orchestrate, maybe convince myself of this facade for a while that I was making things work. Mm -hmm. There was something about that morning. I mean, I distinctly remember looking at myself. I distinctly remember thinking, this is not who I am. And not to say that any of the individual things that I'm talking about make someone a bad person, but oh. I had to be drunk to do these things, to sleep with a million different, <laughs> that was something I only did when I was drunk. Yeah. That um, I wasn't someone who carelessly endangered people all the time, but I was.
0: Yeah.
1: So you can't say that you're not that person. It was like this
0: moment of reconciling. Yes,
1: so I was like, I can't keep saying that, that I'm not this person
0: when I'm this person when on I'm, the reg.
1: <laughs> I'm this person every, I mean, yeah. every single day. Like I would get in my car and I would, in the morning, if I did make it to work, and I would see mm-hmm. Taco Bell and I'm like, oh, I got Taco Bell last night. I mean, right. that's not okay. And yeah. so yeah. I felt such a loss of integrity and credibility mm-hmm. and, you know, people are like, you have to love yourself. I'm like, there's nothing here to love, you know? Mm-hmm. Um yeah and facts are stubborn
0: yeah so the fact is is that i'm not paying my rent the fact is is that i have lost a job the fact is that i do have to move to a place i don't want to live the fact is i have no one to call these are facts Mm -hmm. you know and so you were just you know coming to grips with more and more facts that didn't you didn't feel like represented you well
1: yeah and um denial was not working for me anymore. Like this was not working. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I could not deny these facts anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do
0: you, so you touched on this a, um, a little bit, but do you feel like drinking culture is this great cover up for pain? I mean, we start experimenting when we're young to maybe, I don't know, assert some independence or something, but how much of alcoholism is mental illness or even maybe less dramatic, just trying to feel something different.
1: Um, this is a, Another area where I'll probably preface too much, um, I really don't like to, I think there's always a fear that an alcoholic is going to call everyone an alcoholic. (laughs) Um, So from the beginning, I was like, you know, drinking is not a a problem for everyone. And if you can drink in an okay way, you know, keep doing that. And I still feel that way. I still Mm -hmm. don't, I'm not judging anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But the older I get. I think you might be the least judgmental person I know. I love, that's, kind of
0: i know that and you love
1: that about isn't it fun when
0: people love things about yourself that you love about yourself that's always so like
1: yay you see me people not judging me save my life Mm. kristen not judging me save my life Mm. um but that's all i want is to not judge people and um, i'm sorry you were saying there's just so much judgment um well so the oh, older I um, get, the, alcoholics. Lo- the older I get, the less value I see in alcohol, and the less—I mean, just like obviously, there's no value in it for me. But yeah. I don't know a lot of people who aren't covering up something with it. Yeah, and, yeah. I, I hate saying that because I have so many friends that are, probably think I'm judging them right now, and I'm not. I just think
0: I think that's a really important and brave thing to say.
1: I I think you're right.
0: Even if it's something as simple as a social anxiety, I'm just a little bit more likable to be around if I've had a drink or two. Yeah.
1: Because I've lived like 13 years now without any alcohol, I know that I can tell you all the times in every day that I want to drink. And it's not just to relax. Mm -hmm. And so, But but I'm an alcoholic, so I can't speak for everybody. I I know that that would be a wrong... Comparison, But um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I have stronger reservations about it than I did when I first quit drinking. Yeah. And I have stronger reservations about it for children. I mean, not children, obviously for children. But like, you know, I'm just, I used to think like, oh, everyone's going to do it at some point. Yeah. You know?
0: Like when your 18-year-old is, you yeah. know, going to go to the party, you know, fault. it's like, well, just have the party here so that I can monitor what's going right. on. Wait, why are we just assuming that right.
1: I like everyone's going to
0: gonna drink and that that's okay?
1: Yeah, and I like to think that it is not a foregone conclusion that everyone has to drink and try it at some point. I mean, maybe that's naive of me. I'm, I'm As we're talking, I'm obviously thinking of my own children. And um, I just think it's a dangerous I think alcohol is really dangerous and I do think it is used to cover things that need to be dealt with mm-hmm. and that there is so much freedom in dealing with them. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, my goal is with my kids is to just stay connected, to build a strong connection with them. By the time they get to the point of making a decision about alcohol, I mean, they'll know that they have a family history of it, sure. and they'll know, you know,
0: this might be different for you than it is for right. a friend.
1: And I just, I don't even know what it would look like. I don't yeah. see myself locking them in their room and letting, not letting them leave for fear of drinking. I don't think that that's the way I want to discourage it. But I do want more of a dialogue about this is a choice that you don't have to make, yeah. you know. Um, and why do you want to make it? And let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah, there are other ways
0: to seek what it is mm-hmm. you're after. Right. Yeah. Um, that are less destructive.
1: And then I, uh, as far as mental illness goes, mental illness, I think, is so much bigger than anyone has, like, cracked open, and I think there are so many people that, well, first of all, I think it's just so much more prevalent, Mm -hmm. um, and so much more normal, like, (laughs) and so I I wish we would embrace that a little bit more, um, but I think there are so many people that are mentally ill, self-medicating with alcohol, um, and... The problem with that is that alcohol makes mental illness worse. I don't know the science behind it, but I mean, if you're mentally ill and you're drinking and then your anxiety continues to go up and Mm -hmm. things like that, I mean, it just, it really um, can create more mental illness. Yeah. I
0: I was really struck by the shame component as you were talking of, man, this is something I said I wasn't going to do. Yeah. And, you know, just that downward spiral. Yeah. I did it again. I messed up again. Right. Oh, well.
1: Yeah. You know. And, and then the magical thinking, because the, I mean, there are some people that still um, refuse to admit that I'm an alcoholic, mm. like, and people don't want, I think people don't want alcohol to be a big problem. And, and I don't need to like, I don't. I feel like I have just like poo-pooed on so many people's <laughs> plans for the evening.
0: Did you say plans for the evening? Yes.
1: <laughs> Like, you can still do what you want. I'm just saying. <laughs> I um, I don't know. I kind of lost my train of thought. That's but it. it. I have a question. Do
0: you feel, of the alcoholics you know, do you feel that many addicts are missing some sort of protective layer? I just, the oh. alcoholics I know are so kind yeah. and so sensitive. Yeah. You know?
1: I mean, listen, when I finally got a handle on everything... So alcoholism and bulimia combined, it's when I was diagnosed with a mental illness, Mm -hmm. um, which is borderline personality disorder, which that's a whole nother episode, but I will tell you that that was, that was my missing layer Mm. because I was such, I felt things, I was, so you don't have to know borderline personality disorder. You just have to know the people that you think feel things really deeply. Mm -hmm. The ones that are called sensitive, the ones Mm -hmm. that are, um, yeah, like missing a layer of skin or something, Mm -hmm. like everything Mm -hmm. affects them so deeply and they can't shake it off and they can't move on or compartmentalize. Mm. And I think, I can think of every single person I'm thinking of right now. Yeah. And.
0: Brene Brown has this really good analogy about being. A turtle without a shell in a briar, pra- briar patch, and I guess it was through therapy. But she had decided to quit drinking, and she goes, you know, kind of frantic into her therapist. Her neighbor, and was I was like, a drinker. Uh huh.
1: Oh my gosh, I didn't know.
0: that. Uh huh. Yeah. Love her even more. Yeah. Now. She has an interesting story because she doesn't. She doesn't feel like quite legit enough to be sitting in AA. Right. You know, I, and maybe that's a common. By the way, anyone can go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But so she has this image of being a turtle without a shell in a briar patch. She goes in frantic to her therapist and says, I need a different shell. If I'm not allowed to do this or this or this, I need a different shell. And her therapist very plainly looks at her and is like, or you could get out of the briar patch. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, what is the briar patch? Like, what are the things? I I mean, maybe, is that called a trigger? I mean, I don't... What are the things that make you feel the need Mm -hmm. to cover, to protect, to...
1: Okay, so there is a briar... Like, when you said that, I don't know if I'm capturing... My head's capturing everything the same way she meant it. But, like, I think about some riffraff I got rid of, you know? like
0: what needed to stay, what needed
1: to go. Yeah, Yeah. like, friendships that Mm -hmm. were... And this is real surface level. So, like, yeah. I was hanging out at the end of my drinking only with people at the bar that I knew only through that bar. I did yeah. you know. So I got rid of that. But for me, what ultimately saved me was the new shell. And okay. I, did, I did get a new shell. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was behavioral therapy for me. Yeah. And that was that I can be in the midst of the briar patch. Okay. And I can be okay. Okay. And that's the biggest lesson of my life okay um and I think the briar patch maybe is feelings I don't know yeah um, feelings that we're afraid to feel because mm-hmm. we think they're going to destroy us there oh there's a really good quote recently and I hate the reason I saw it but um it said feelings cannot kill you but running from them can mm. and we run from them I think because we are just like, you don't want to feel sadness, anger, hurt. You don't want to feel those things. Well, what if you feel them? What's going to happen? Like yeah. I I was going to do anything to not feel them. So behavioral therapy has taught me how to feel my feelings and manage them safely. Because um, yeah. you you know you want to teach your kids, you got to feel your feelings. Yeah, there's
0: no way through but through.
1: Right, yeah. yeah. And so um, behavioral therapy just like kind of opened... I can be okay in whatever situation yeah. I might not be every time, but yeah. I, I know I can, I know yeah, it's yeah, possible. Yeah. Yeah. There is nothing in my therapist. And I've gotten down to like the nitty grittiest, yeah. my biggest fears, like, well, what if they happen? What can if? you still be, can you still be okay? Can you still be Elliot and Zade's mom? Can you still be Meach's wife? Can you still enjoy your life if these things aren't okay? You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I feel like I might have gone off on a tangent. No, on that one,
0: no, I don't think so at all. Was there were there things that you had to
1: learn how to do sober? <laughs> yes. Um, but I was really good at them, like dancing. Um, <laughs> I, I'm so serious. Of course. I dance so much better now. <laughs> and everyone's always like blown away, like because I'm always the one dancing till the end. And they're like, She's not even drunk and I'm like, oh, I I'm love all, it. like a dancer. Um <laughs> um um intimacy I mean I don't yeah. know how far you want to go down that yeah, road but yeah. that was um beautiful and wonderful mm. to you know learn how to love and be loved wow. in a sober way yeah. and that was like kind of major like yeah I have chills that's a big deal yeah like um cause I mean Meech and I my husband and I actually met while I was drinking um <laughs> He was one of the gifts of my addiction. Mm. (laughs) Um, Because there's no way we would have ever ended up together. Mm. We would have never, ever ended up together Mm -hmm. unless I was drinking. Um, That sounds horrible, but he would say the same thing. (laughs) He had to be really drunk to take interest (laughs) in me. (laughs) But then we realized that we loved each other, Mm. and it was weird. And it was was as I was Mm -hmm. sobering up, Mm -hmm. and um, I had never, ever been that close to someone and I know everyone's probably thinking in their head I'm just talking about one thing right now and I'm not just talking about that mm-hmm. thing I'm just talking about like the vulnerability of mm-hmm. being seen and mm-hmm. being loved and being without that layer of something between me and yeah the person I love
0: you know it's interesting I was kind of in the throes of sin when I Met Seth and I. <laughs> I feel grateful for that in a way right. because I look back, like in true gospel fashion, in like the midst of my deepest darkest, God just dropped Seth Sullivan right into the middle of it, and I love that I can look back on that miracle and not take any credit for it. Like I didn't do that. I right. didn't earn that. Right. I didn't do that. I mean, it's just it's very gospel. Right. Like yeah, for me. it's like
1: one of those things, like when I, 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 like, I can't take credit for what happened to me on the treadmill that day, you know, yeah. and I can't take credit It's grace. for, it's like, in all of this mess of me, like, being irresponsible and reckless with my sex life that I met. hmm the man that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with mm. that he ended up to be a really good person. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: okay, so you use the word gift. Do you consider your addiction a gift at all? Do you feel like th- that this was a path that you needed to walk? Does it in some way make you who you are?
1: I definitely. Yes. Yeah. And um it's changed a little bit over the years of how I view that gift. I used to be like, "Well, I've learned all of these really valuable tools about how to live, take care of myself and be sensitive and feel my feelings and all this stuff. But I wish I could have learned it in a different way, you know? Yeah. Um, But it's been the past few years that I'm grateful that I learned it in exactly the way I have. Because Mm -hmm. what you just said, you know, like, I feel like I'm a safe person to a lot of people. And that's what I want to be because they know that when i say been there or i've done that or you would you know they're thinking of their dirtiest darkest secret of what they've done while they were drinking and i'll just lay it out and i'll tell them mine you know i think there are so many worthy people out there struggling with addiction and it has allowed me a connection to them Mm -hmm. and um like when i say i don't judge them I really am not judging. Like, I don't know how else to say that. But there's really, like, there's no, why can't you just stop? Why can't you blah, blah, blah? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll get frustrated with someone. But there's no judgment. I don't have it. It's, I'm incapable of it It's like it's
0: inaccessible. That is an inaccessible. It's inaccessible. (laughs) Yes. Um, I would imagine that currently addicted people, like people that are in the throes of their addiction, can't see things clearly. Now that you're not in the throes of addiction, it sounds like you're really able to talk about how badly it hurt, why you chose
1: it, why
0: you couldn't escape it.
1: Yeah, you're saying it really well. There's no doubt. I mean, I can't remember the exact saying, but it's like, you can't make a drunk person undrunk.
0: You know, yeah. like I
1: cannot talk reason into someone who is, and whether I'm, and when I say drunk, I don't mean in that moment. They yeah. could be, or yeah. maybe they're just, Yeah. maybe it's they're 12 hours off of drinking, but they are in their addiction and they are still ruled by it yeah. and it is so hard and and that's that's I guess where I feel like I truly have a gift is because I understand that mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. and so I have some patience for it where other people might yeah. not um it's also a sad space for me because I know yeah. what the limitations are of it and there are limitations of it yeah. you know but
0: did you I'm just this is like not really a planned question, but I'm, I'm curious as you're talking. Um, did you ever worry about sobriety changing you in a way that you didn't desire in a way that you didn't like, you were going to lose some of your pizzazz or yeah.
1: I think I, I was until that day. Um, and I was talking to my husband about this recently that like, there was some sort of confidence that I magically got that day. When I say magically, you mm-hmm. can infer what you want. Yeah. I don't think it was gotten magically. Yeah. Um, but I, it's not. It's definitely a confidence that needed some more refining and developing over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. But it was new. Mm. And I remembered for some reason That's that day. Well said. Yeah. I remembered that day thinking of, like, some things my brother had said to me when I was at treatment for bulimia. He had said something about, Corey, you take on everything, like, so powerfully, and I, I wish you would take this on just as powerfully. And I was like, mm. oh, he was referring to, like, something he liked about me. Yeah. Like, and, and I remember, like, being a child and being funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember... Um, being entertaining, yeah, you know, and all, in just these different things, and I had a confidence that like mm-hmm. the people that I want in my life, mm-hmm. the people that mean something to me, mm-hmm. they like me, mm-hmm. you know. And it was a gift. It, yeah. was, and it and then, and I tested it out, and it immediately, you know, like <laughs> it was immediate. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I mean, I was really fortunate in that way yeah. that uh, some of the bridges that I burned or thought I had burned, um it was actually just someone having a boundary and saying, I'm not going to stay really close while you destroy yourself, but I'm here yeah, and I love you. Mm -hmm. I love you, Mm -hmm. you know, when Mm -hmm. you're ready. So
0: So Richard Rohr has this quote that says, if we don't transform our pain, we just transmit it. Mm -hmm. And so I would imagine that as we, um, I don't know why this makes me emotional, but as we meet people that are the loves of our lives, whether it's our husbands or our children, that there's a great motivator there um, to be healthy for them. And I've certainly experienced a lot of spousal healing, Mm -hmm. you know, in my life. How, um, how is your family a motivator for you? Or is your family a motivator for you? Is that something separate? Like what?
1: It's huge. And it's, they're very different. My children and my husband, the way they motivate me, it's Mm -hmm. very different. I feel like everybody goes through something at some point and, my husband walked me through this. You know, he was with mm-hmm. me and not judgmental and loving and all of those different things and stuck around, you know, because <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you that the drinking stopped, but the bulimia continued and there was there was a longer path in front of me. Um, so now it's just a remind. He's a reminder to me to be that, for him. Mm. I don't know how to say it. Not that he's going through anything, but he's going to go through things, you know, yeah. and I, it continues my healing because I want to be, I don't want us to just play these roles. Yeah. I don't want to just, cause you know, there's, there's a very distinct, like addict coded pendant, you know, all, that plays out very easily. Textbook. Yeah. <laughs> and I just don't want it to be textbook. I just want us, yeah. I mean, we are who we are. We are, naturally inclined to certain things but I don't want him to always be taking care of me and I want to be well enough to take care of him too Mm -hmm. um Mm. and I want to allow him to feel okay admitting he needs to be taken care of and things like that and then with my kids it's just it's just constant just I mean because I still have triggers I still have these things and it's just like they're right there with me every day all day long. You know? yeah. And, um, I, I mean, I had animals before I had children and we would joke that like one of my dogs picked up my anxiety, you know? Um, and then the other dog was more relaxed, like Meech. And, but, <laughs> but I see this happening with my children and it makes me keep wanting to not be perfect for them uh-huh. but to keep working yeah. on it and to keep yeah. working on myself and not get complacent and yeah. um and then just to model 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 like feeling things mm-hmm. and communicating mm-hmm. and being healthy about it and um being nonjudgmental and accepting it. A lot of the things that I, the great things that I picked up in life came from my parents and a lot of the troubling things that I picked sure. up came from my parents and they're both awesome and loved me really hard and they just, I have more tools now than they had. Yeah, and I really absolutely. want to, I want to stop some cycles in our family, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah, amen. Corey, I cannot thank you enough for just how loosely you hold your story and how accessible you are. I would love—I would love to give people your email if you're open to that. Um, yes. So, so let's—we'll talk about that in a minute um, because I think you're just such a great resource. You've—you've you've been so many places, and I'm so grateful with how generous you are with all of it. But to close, um, I would like to know a handful of things—the behavioral therapy things, like a handful of things that work for you when you're feeling without a shell.
1: Okay, the easiest thing to do that I don't, you know, I can't do this forever because this is not healthy if you do it forever, but like immediately um, if something is really triggering me Immediately distraction. I mean, mm-hmm. that could be like, now it's not hard to find. Like before I had children, I'm like, oh, I need to do a Sudoku puzzle right now. Uh-huh, um, right yeah. now it's just like focus on my kids and uh-huh, I can uh-huh. get distracted very easily. So that's one thing. Another, um, if I'm feeling overwhelmed by a feeling just that is so powerful that it is triggering me, um, trying to have Trying to evoke the opposite feeling, so it's mm. called it's called opposite action. So you actually you act opposite to your feeling. Interesting. So okay. If you are really really angry at someone, if you try to be feel compassion for them, and it's not about forgiving them or letting them off the hook, you never have to talk to them about it. But if you try to have some compassion for the person that you're angry at, it actually can uh, bring your anger down to a manageable level. Okay. Yeah. Um, or if you're depressed and you're in bed, <laughs> just getting outside, just doing something, yeah. the smallest bit of it. Yeah. Like I rem- I mean, I have been in bed before for three days cause all of this, you know, has all of these addictions come from a place of like depression, anxiety and whatnot. But I've been in bed for three days before and got outside for three minutes and been like, why didn't I do this sooner? I just yes. needed some Every vitamin time. D sunshine on my face, something, yes. you know, um, so that's, called opposite action um and then I don't even know what this skill is called but it's like a big one and I touched on it earlier but it's just feeling anything and realizing uh, observing and describing the feeling in your head and realizing it's there and it's not killing you (laughs) like getting to the other side of it and saying that sucked I did not like the way that felt mm-hmm. that really hurt mm-hmm. but I'm still alive it's gone it might be coming back but I'm, still I'm here standing. I'm I'm yeah. still standing I'm still here um and not like I don't have to be like I'm still standing you know yeah, like yeah. like I'm worn out I'm yeah, exhausted yeah. but I'm alive yeah. and I didn't throw up and I didn't drink yeah. and I didn't Yeah, what you said earlier, all of this was an effort to not feel Mm -hmm. certain feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, what would you say,
0: last thing, what would you say to someone who is watching someone they love self-destruct? What advice would you give the sober person?
1: The sober person, I would say, for sure, determine your boundaries and then love that person within your boundaries. That is directed to the sober person to help them but also to help the other person mm. because I respected people who had boundaries with me. Mm-hmm. I think I told myself a different story at the time yeah. of like maybe why they had those boundaries. Maybe, maybe so-and-so has better friends now or maybe so-and-so. Mm, true. But I think deep down I knew exactly what was going on and me missing those people was motivation. It mm. really was my motivation mm. to work my, my life, back into their boundaries, you know, yeah. like I,
0: um, we can edit this out if it's not what you're saying, but
1: are you saying that it's okay to step away? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I say step away in love. And if you are, if you are supporting or, or if you are in the position, you're this person who wants to help an addict. If it's in judgment, if it's in, hmm. if it's in judgment, it's not, Yeah. it's not. Analyzing helpful. your motivation. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, But if it's to take care of yourself and it's out of love, I mean, I try to do that a lot. Like, Mm -hmm. is this a loving thing to do? Like, say, is this a loving thing to do? Um, And sometimes it is loving to walk away and say, I'm not going to sit here in front of you and judge you the whole time, but I also can't be around it, you know?
0: I had a difficult decision to make once and I took it to my spiritual advisor at the time. And she didn't know either, which by the way, I felt really, that felt really comforting for <laughs> a spiritual
1: advisor Thanks, to say, girl. I don't know. I'm like, well, thank goodness. I'm not, you know. Um, oh, well, no, I see what you're saying. I thought yeah. you were being facetious, but no. No, like, I'm like, even thank you. Okay. This is hard. Yeah.
0: This is really hard. And she was like, I don't know. And and then she was like, which decision, which way feels most loving? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's such a good yeah. parameter yeah. for yeah. your
1: choices. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, just it's. It's so cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. You really cannot save anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, Al-Anon is an amazing resource. I believe in it 100%. Mm-hmm. And then finding other people who've been in your situation, mm-hmm. finding community. Mm-hmm. like These are all like cliche things to drop. But I could tell you, I could spend 30 minutes on each of the cliche thing to drop to, to explain to you why like, yeah. the community is needed yeah. and not going it alone. And awesome.
0: Thanks, sister. Um, Corey is obviously not a physician and she oh, is yeah, not a counselor, but, but she is a very loving person who has walked this road. And her email, if you would like to get in touch with her, is Corey, C O R E Y R O W E U S, all one word, Corey Row U S at Mac.com. Yes. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Love sister. you.
1: I love you. Thy faithfulness. O oh God, my father, there is no shadow of turning
0: with thee. Dear God, We come to you today and we offer ourselves to you. And you minister to all who come to you and we praise you for that. Thank you, God, for being a God who understands our tendencies. Please look with compassion upon all of us who, through addiction, have lost our health, our freedom. Your unfailing mercy, God, administers to our aching hearts, and we praise you for that too. Please strengthen us on our roads to recovery. And for those who care for us, God, please give them persevering love. We ask all of these things in your Son's holy name, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. for this episode a special thank you to Corey Rowe flores thank you to pamela anthony cutright and chen redfield for music thank you to Kristen kelly and mary bishop for more of mary's writing head to made for ordinary center saint sister now has a patreon page please consider supporting center saint sister by searching for allison sullivan on patreon.com many episodes are now only available for patrons send us your questions at center at gmail.com follow us on instagram at allison m sully don't forget to review like and subscribe and tune in next week